Welcome to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Join me in welcoming my guests as we'll discuss the ins and outs of the healthcare landscape and examine what is really happening inside big healthcare. I'm happy to welcome back to Healthcare 360, Heather Wright, a holistic nutrition and metabolic analyst with Live Lean, who joined us for podcast number 12 and number 13. Today, Heather brought her colleague and medical director, Dr. Chris Davis, to join in on the conversation at Healthcare 360. Dr. Davis, founder and CEO of Reveal Vitality, is board certified in internal medicine, cardiovascular disease, and interventional cardiology, and later pursued training in functional medicine, bioidentical hormone replacement, and regenerative medicine. Together, we'll discuss the integrated medical approach and dive deep into Dr. Davis's switch from reactive medicine to prevention medicine. Topics we'll discuss include our broken healthcare system driven by profit, Dr. Davis's transition to a cash-based practice, the two sides of intermittent fasting, the disease gut connection, and so much more. Throughout this conversation, I believe you will quickly learn why Dr. Davis was chosen top doctor five years in a row. And I am thankful to Heather for bringing Dr. Davis to Healthcare 360. Please share this insightful conversation with others and glad you're here to join us only on Healthcare 360. This is Scott Burgess. I'm your host of the podcast, Healthcare 360. This is round three <laughs> with Heather Wright. We had a, such a good conversation. We needed to expand upon it because the talking points and the milestones in those conversations were just overflowing and we, we just needed to bring it back up. So on top of that, what Heather came back and she recommended was that we bring in Dr. Chris Davis, one of her MDs that uh, aligned with Live Lean. All the information with Heather, we'll make sure that's inside the podcast notes. And then with Dr. Davis, we'll also make sure that revealvitality.com is also plugged into the podcast notes so we can look at it. We just had a pre-conversation that we could probably just end it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I recorded some of it. What I wanted to go through real quick is I wanted to uh, reintroduce Heather. So Heather is a holistic nutritionist. She's local here in Boca Raton. I am super fortunate to have someone of her expertise so close and really someone I can lean on and ask questions for not just myself, but friends. And hey, what about, what about, what about, and have someone of sound mind and knowledge to give that information back. That's twofold now with Dr. Davis here. All right. So I'm going to do the same. <laughs> Absolutely. Dr. Davis. Okay. So let, let me read a couple of things here and you're going to do a much better job than me. You're an interventional cardiologist. You're a main practice points are you have focus on cardiovascular disease, mm -hmm. interventional cardiology, integrative medicine and wellness. Mm -hmm. That one sticks out the most. Then you've been voted a top doctor. We're going to embellish you a little bit here. I do want to know why and how come and how you got to that designation, which is an amazing compliment. And then what I love the most about your, your About Me page was you're really about prevention. Most people are reacting to symptoms versus trying to prevent them and get ahead of them and really kind of self-correct. And there's a line of questions after that that's going to help kind of steam that along. So, Heather, thank you for coming back. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. I'm so excited. This is just, it's really, it's just yeah. super, super easy. And then, Dr. Davis, I know you had a little bit of a ride to get here. Thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure being here. I was excited to talk about prevention and just educating uh, people who want to be educated. That's great. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit more about your practice, what you're doing, how you're doing it? Sure. 
I, uh, I'm an interventional cardiologist. I've been practicing cardiology for about uh, 13 years now. About two and a half, three years ago, I started to see a problem with our healthcare system in general. You know, we are very reactive. You kind of just mentioned that. And even what I was doing, we were I'm catching people on the back end. You know, you have a blockage in your artery have a, of the heart or you're having a heart attack or a blockage in your leg and we're going in to fix it. And, you know, as I first started practicing, it was great. I felt like, OK, I'm doing great things. I'm saving people's lives. I'm fixing these blocked arteries. But in reality, you know, over time, people start to ask me a lot of questions about, well, what do I do to prevent this? And all I had to tell them was that standard answer, you know, eat a low fat diet and get some exercise, you know, and that was the kind of thing that I was taught in medical school. We never really were taught true nutrition and we never really were taught the true underlying causes as I know them now for atherosclerotic vascular disease. We were taught cholesterol causes you to have heart disease, which is part of the problem, but so far from the total truth about what causes heart disease. Yeah. So anyways, long story short, once I, I saw the light of as to what was going on and how we were truly treating people with medications and procedures, and I really realized, honestly, that this was a system driven by profit. The system is set up for physicians to prescribe more medicines, do more procedures, as opposed to actually educating their their, their patients about getting better and how to do that. And, and once I realized that it was time to do something different, so I kind of went down another road and started to learn, take some functional medicine courses, learning about underlying root causes of disease. And really started another program, uh, Reveal Vitality was my actual uh, wellness practice. And when I call it, we call it lifestyle medicine, but simply it was teaching you about the, the importance of nutrition, uh, the importance of sleep, the importance of fitness, the importance of stress management, you know, uh, mm. and an overall lifestyle balance. And so as we started to do that, it was absolutely incredible what I saw over the first three to four months as far as my clients getting better. You know, people coming off their diabetes medicines, coming off of their blood pressure medicines. And those were just the heart related things. But the people who their rheumatoid arthritis was better, their psoriasis was gone, their headaches and GERD. That to me, over the first four months, I, I literally said, I cannot believe that it's this easy to help these people get better. And so for me, at that point, I, I felt like I could continue to be part of the problem or I could be part of the solution. And so I just decided, you know, it was time for me to do something different anyway. From a lifestyle perspective, you know, I thought that, you know, I want to educate these my, my patients, my clients. I wanted to spend more time with them. And so I decided to kind of just jump in with this integrative medicine approach. So obviously, I still use medications. Uh, I mean, procedures are warranted when they are warranted. But there's so many things we can do up front to prevent disease. And that's mm -hmm. what we, I'm out really advocating these days. Wow. All right. I've, I don't know how many doctors I've spoken to that says that in med school, nutrition's a joke as far as their courses. Yep. The business, as far as knowing how to run a sound practice, especially after coming off the amount of debt that you're coming from. Mm -hmm. So those two things right there mm -hmm. I picked up right away. Functional medicine, mm -hmm. amazing. I yep. love that. Sleep, mm -hmm. stress management. That one pulled my ears back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But all the important. result of all those... You had reduction in symptoms from rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. All the chronic illnesses, basically. Psoriasis. Yeah. Everything that we're seeing on the TV ad spots, right, of take this medication mm -hmm. may have an adverse side effect with X. Yep. Wow. Again, I was absolutely amazed <laughs> to see what would happen just with the dietary changes, honestly. I mean, I mean it's been incredible. And it just continues to go on. I mean, every day it, it's, it's a similar thing when you know, our clients will come in after three, two months. Mm -hmm. Two months. I mean, I'll tell them, you give me two months and we, you do what we ask you to do in the program, the, the education, the, the diet, 
and they come back and they've lost an incredible amount of weight in a couple of months and they keep it off, but they just feel so much better. And so, you know, when you see people really getting better like that, for me, it really was just, and and it's amazing how easy it is. I mean, I know all these complicated procedures and all the stuff that I've done and how easy it is to truly get them better by just letting, teaching them and letting them take the reins. You know, when I tell my clients, I tell them, I say, you know what, it's not about really what I do. It's about what you're willing to do and the discipline you have to do the things that we ask you to do. Well, in our last conversation, we got into the heady stuff a lot. And I really just stopped almost completely when Heather and I were talking about the accountability Mm -hmm. and making sure that people are in the right mindset and they have a healthy mindset Mm -hmm. to be able to do that Mm -hmm. overall. So Heather has to leave everyone soon. And uh, she was patient and gracious enough to, to be with us up until this point. So I want to get to a couple of things first. Um, one, there was a specific question through LinkedIn that someone asked. I want to make sure that we get your response on that. Sure. And two, I want everyone to know about this relationship here. Okay. So Heather is one of the co-founders of Limlean. Okay. And obviously Dr. Davis is the founder of Reveal Vitality. Okay. Mm-hmm. The benefit that I see with the patient and the customer who's coming in, who just want to live a better lifestyle. They may not need to be a patient at that point. They get in a complete holistic approach and holistic nutrition approach through Heather, but they're also getting the MD side from you, Dr. Davis. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Heather, talk to a little bit about how that relationship is completely synergistic. I, I see this mm-hmm. all day, all night. Okay. But for those who don't, Hey, I work out every day. I eat. They think they eat well. Right. I eat well. Mm-hmm. Where did, how does this intertwine and offer that overall value back to someone who needs it? To quote him, it's lifestyle medicine. You have to have the technology. You know, a doctor needs his tools. He needs his ancillary support. And Live Lean brings that into the world of lifestyle medicine with the DEXA scan, as we kind of briefly touched on earlier about the visceral fat and the readings using that that case scenario we were talking about. Yeah, you can see distension of the abdomen in somebody and say, oh, automatically they have a high number of visceral fat, but it's also making it tangible for the client. You know, because yeah, they're like, yeah, I know I'm fat. You know, I know, I know I have some pounds to lose, but making it tangible and educating them on how big of a threat those items are to their health is actually like a big aha moment. Mm -hmm. So you can use that to spiral into accountability, but measuring the metabolic rate versus using generic equations or the BMI equation, things like that, cardio fitness, which um, from the VO2 max, he can expand upon a little bit later. And the Fit3D using it as a metric in between DEXA scans or coinciding with it to keep people engaged in a whole recomposition concept and not mm-hmm. just focused on their weight for transition as a, or as a benchmark for progress. That's a big point you just said yes. right there. Yeah. Because so, everyone goes to their weight first. Exactly. Right. Yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So having the technology and be able to quantify the data to give it back to the doctor is just making more accurate treatment plans on my end and on his end, and also creates that referral for the epigenetic and the more upper level medical counseling that he can give that, you know, I can't because I'm not a doctor, but um, we work together as a, as a well-oiled system to say, okay, you know, I've got this going on, you know, with this client, I would like to see this. And he's like, okay, well now I found this because he's in that rabbit hole. And then he consults with the client, you know, does his recommendations and prescriptions for the nutrients and the other things that we talked about. And then I can go back and kind of reevaluate you eat with diet as well to kind of put those two together. So it is really synergistic, whether you're looking to improve your health or improve your athletic performance or just be optimized or age well. I mean, it's a very important piece of the puzzle that kind of goes in synergy with each other. You're saving lives. Pretty much. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I think we're saving lives before they get sick. 
You know, you mentioned earlier as we first started out, I mean, it is imperative that, you know, we as a society, we really are more of a reactive group of people when it comes to our health care. We wait till we have a stroke. We wait till we have a heart attack. And then, oh, hell, we, we need to do something about it. Right. And we really need to start thinking about that differently. You know, these things don't have to happen. If we're more proactive about our health care, then, you know, the, the, those those incidents don't have to happen. I think that Part of the other thing that is important for Heather and myself and for other healthcare providers out there is that there's so much information and confusion out there about what being healthy means, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'll be honest with you. Um, I think even for me as a physician, and I started this road on educating myself on nutrition, you know, I feel really bad for lay people trying to figure out what they should do because the reality is, you know, you can find and read whatever you want to read out there about this diet is right, that diet is right, and and everybody has a study. But, you know, the the bottom line is I've decided now that the truth is somewhere in the middle because everybody can't be right, all right? Right. Right. But there are some things, and we can talk about these later, there's some certain things that fall out, you know, refined carbohydrates and sugars. There's certain things that we need to take out, period. Let me ask you a quick question as you go down that. What's the number one root cause of the majority of the problems? Sugar. 100%, 100%, no hands down sugar. But people we, love their ice cream. <laughs> you know, it, it, I mean, it, it, and people don't want to hear, they may not want to hear those things, but the bottom line, it's sugar or, or and refined carbohydrates, which are nothing more than sugars, right? Yeah. So that's the number one problem. Now, the rest, whether you're uh, a plant-based vegan or any animal products, you know, somewhere in there, although I will say, and I knew this was going to come up, me and my trek, I've also decided that probably limiting the amount of animal protein is the way to go. This has been a long journey for me as well. But the more and more literature that I see, the more and more that I get into longevity, and that's one of the things we're really working on in my practice is uh, longevity. The longevity studies are really looking at those groups in Sardinia and Icaria. I mean, mm-hmm. those places that the longest longevity didn't have a lot of meat proteins. And so, yeah. so, so we're starting this and, and, and that's something that we're seeing over and over again. You know, I was a big, I mean, I've gone down the whole road to big paleo, big keto for the first time recently. Talk about reversal of cardiovascular disease. I do think the most that data, is possible, right? Yes, it mm-hmm. is. I think the most data right now is out there with the plant-based diet. Okay. I'm going to say that. Now I will say one other thing. If you haven't watched this new documentary, I'm not a big fan of game changers. Mm-hmm. They, they, I think they do the whole plant-based movement a disservice, but I think there is a lot of validity to a plant-based diet, but they made it too. It was really- There was a ton of biases bias. in yeah. the background. Yeah. And bias. if you so, looked at who produced it, exactly. and the amount of millions of dollars- exactly. It could have been, I think yeah. they have some validity, but the way they did it was definitely too commercialized. I mean, yes. it was just, it was over, overly done. But most people, there were a lot of people who came to me after it. So I think what they did worked. But for the people who know- yeah. I asked those questions yeah. to Heather first thing. Yeah. It was almost one of my first questions, yeah. remember? I said, hey, mm-hmm. what about Game Changers? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was like, nah. You know, it's kind of like, what the hell? That was like, you know, I yeah. saw right through it. But again, you know, mm-hmm. we're professionals. We're educated professionals. And I spent six years of my life in research. So I know what to look for in terms of like validation and things like that. So I can look right through it and see right through the screen. You yeah. know, and yeah. so that's why when people bring this study, like, oh, this study, I'm like, okay, who funded it? Mm-hmm. Who's behind it? What's the agenda? What's the outcome? Right. So those are the things that I look at. And if I can't find like solidifiable evidence, then I'm like, nah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. That's the first so, thing I look for too. My buddy Brian works for uh, Department of Defense mm-hmm. and he's always said to me, and I never really looked into it, and but he was like, who funded it? Yeah. Where's the money mm-hmm. come exactly. from? Mm-hmm. All the dollars, all the dollars. Mm-hmm. That's always the case. And I went back and- 
the number one, well, Haas avocados. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, it's one of the more the healthier foods, quote unquote. But then you had uh, the number one plant-based protein company in the country that was mm-hmm. 75, 80 million a year leapfrogged over 200 million. Yeah. Wow. After that. From that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. Amazing. So, Heather, before yes. you go, intermittent fasting. Yes. So, a good friend of mine, Chad Crosdale, he asked a question. I have tried intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. I have found results on it. Okay. Uh, my results were that I had intermittent high blood pressure. Did the intermittent fasting didn't change my diet that much. Mm. Okay. I saw after two cycles of donating blood that my blood pressure went down and it sustained. It seemed to work. Um, I seemed to get more energy from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I lost fat in areas. I was like, okay, that's burned off. I built better muscle. So I felt that it worked, Mm -hmm. but you have a different opinion. Yeah. It's a very long conversation, but I'll just keep it uh, superficial for the purpose of today. And Dr. Davis can expand on it and give his view on it. And then we can talk a little bit later about Mm -hmm. it. We can do a whole podcast on it if you want to. But intermittent fasting should be- She's coming back again. (laughs) It should be evaluated by a case-by-case basis. There is a lot of research and science behind intermittent fasting, the benefits of it, obviously, you know, bringing down your insulin and blood sugar levels and your cortisol levels, obviously. Two, as well, in conjunction with that, it's a hormonal chemical switch. Yes, it does work for most people, especially, you know, for weight loss or fat loss or things like that. Why does it work for people? Ah, because like I said before, it's the chemical change as well, but they're also inherently restricting their calories because not a lot of people can eat, you know, this slows down their metabolism, especially if they're using coffee to kind of like suppress their appetite, but keep their metabolism fast. There's a whole myriad of different things going on with intermittent fasting and it's Mm -hmm. case by case. Right. Individual. But some people are not candidates for it. The long and the short of it is, is that when you're doing intermittent fasting, you have to satisfy your body's nutritional needs as well. You can't long term do intermittent fasting and only eat 1100 calories a day. That might work initially, but then it's going to come back with a vengeance, you know, eventually. So what if they're superseding their meal on that one sitting or two sittings a day? Yeah, not so good. I'm trying to summarize it just mm-hmm. unfortunately in the sake of time. And he has a different viewpoints and he might, he might say the same thing that I would say long-term, but yes, it, it needs to be evaluated case by case. Some people are not candidates for it, especially people that have a, a slow metabolism inherently from years of yo-yo dieting or years of calorie restriction over training, things like that. There is a whole thing around training fasted, not training fasted. I mean, like I said, this is a whole big topic, but intermittent fasting, yes, it does work to address it. Sometimes the immediate case is so long as you're supporting your body's nutritional needs for your expenditures mm-hmm. um, in a balanced fashion. Would it be a good gateway to get started? It might be, yes. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a piece of the puzzle. It's not an end all. It's not a solution. Yeah. That's really the sum. So in long and short of it is, what I'm hearing is yeah. you're going to see the benefits when you first start from it. Mm-hmm. But long term, it really shouldn't be sustainable. And you don't want it to be sustainable because mm-hmm. you're not going to get the proper calories, micronutrients vitamin and output. Like I said, it's much more deeper rooted than that, but it needs to have proper evaluation at different pivotal points in your life. Mm-hmm. Like where can you apply it? Maybe not doing it every day, maybe not doing it for 18 or 16 hours at a time, changing up your variance in which I've, I've tried 16 hours and yeah. I, 14 was my cutoff. Okay. I just could not. And that's, that's sometimes indicative of people who aren't eating balanced meals or meeting their, uh, their body's nutritional minimums, like the resting metabolic rate, like I told you about before, yep, or yep. meeting your energy requirements, somebody like you who works out, things like that. You know, if you're being calorie restrictive, too calorie restrictive, you're actually going to go the other way and start gaining weight and start feeling horrible um, or lose your gains, lose your lean mass too. 
while storing visceral fat. So like I said, it's a very long rabbit hole that we can go down. Mm -hmm. Um, But just to summarize, uh, intermittent fasting is a piece of the puzzle. It's not an end all. It's a part of the lifestyle itself. And it has to be evaluated per person. Not everybody's a candidate for it. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. I know you have to go. I know. We're good. I'll see you later. Yeah. Call me when you're done. Okay. Okay. I'll call you. Okay. Thank you. All right. So let me pick up there because yeah, I'm going to respect. I'm going to respectfully disagree. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she'll know when she listens. Yeah, to she'll the know when she listens to it. I'll talk to her about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I like contrast. That was yeah. pretty good. So I think there's more and more and more data coming out on intermittent fasting. So a couple of things. Let's deal with the, I, the reason why I asked so much about this. This just to interject real quick mm-hmm. is because there's been major TEDx talks. Mm-hmm. On this topic line, and it is, and they talk about apostrophe mm-hmm. and the benefits mm-hmm. of it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It actually, there is a lot of data that's really coming out on intermittent fasting now, and I will say that I mean I, I do have to say I, w- I disagree with with Heather. And let's start with the concept of not getting enough calories in. Just because you're fasting doesn't mean you don't get those calories in. It's just a time restricted feeding where you get the same amount of calories in. And I do this quite frequently. I'm at intermittent fast. When I think about preventative mechanism or how am I screening my clients, I, I think that technology has really advanced. And we, I mean, if you really wanted to know how my vascular health is evolving, you know, there's certainly we can look at advanced lipid testing. Uh, we can look at coronary calcium scores. We can look at, I have a lot of my clients that we even get, you know, a coronary CTA. So we look at 3D renditions of our heart to see if there are blockages in the arteries or not. Really? Now, having said that, let how me long say, has that tech been available for? Oh, it's been that's been available for a while. Uh, uh-huh. Probably 20 years now for the coronary CT scans. It's been around for a while um, now, but it's not something that is standard of care. It's one of those things where we can use it, and certain insurance may pay for it. Sometimes, if you have an equivocal stress test, so you may or may. But I can tell you, the insurance doesn't pay for it right up front. Yeah, that that type of testing. Why not? Especially if it's uh, so good kind of telling. Very good question. Um, well, what you know, would they want to pay for a cardiovascular surgery? And, and they would right? pay for a cardiac catheterization before they pay for that. You know, I, that is a question for our insurance companies and government. I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. I could ask, I mean, let me, I could turn that around and <laughs> ask you the same question. Why do they pay doctors or cardiologists? Fifteen thousand dollars to put a stent in their leg and not pay them anything, or pay them fifteen dollars to educate that person on how to prevent that from happening again. It's a system that is broken. So yeah. that's my and we which goes back to your earlier yeah. comment about it's it's a profit based business for sure. Yeah. It's a procedure generated medication kind of promoting system, and and I don't know what else to say about it. I won't get on my high horse and start preaching about that, but. It is a system with a lot of problems as opposed to paying physicians to be good doctors and spending time to educate their patients on how to prevent these things. And maybe if we could spend more than seven minutes in a room or 10 minutes in a room, then we would be more effective. And that's just something, you know, when we start talking about this whole healthcare and and providing healthcare and and, and socialized medicine, the bottom line is we could give insurance to everybody in, in the country. But if we continue to give, we continue to provide that same care that we're providing, the insurance doesn't make a difference because right. we're still not teaching people what they should do. Mm-hmm. And so the key here is designing a system where we can truly sit down and educating the physicians 
or at least they're, I mean, the, the people who, uh, the physician care extenders on how we truly educate people to prevent the disease. We're not very much of a preventative society, although we say we are. Yeah, that, we'll we'll yeah, screen for prostate cancer. We'll screen for colon cancer, screen for breast cancer, but that's not prevention. Screening is not prevention. And so, and there's so much that we know about prevention that, and it starts with our food sources as well. But and again, a whole nother topic, right? Why yeah. are we allowed to have all of the high fructose corn syrup in the foods that we have in the United States? Again, it's a profit-driven thing. And so if we were truly to, to knuckle down on what's causing all the chronic disease, then we wouldn't be in the problem that, that we have right now. Right. From 25, 35, 45, as we're growing, our bodies are evolving mm-hmm. and our diet and our lifestyle mm-hmm. needs to change with it. Right. What are some easy things? And it, this could be a loaded question mm-hmm. because if someone says organic, mm-hmm. we know there are asterisks behind that mm-hmm. okay so mm-hmm. organic okay mm-hmm. but, but soil what? type and mm-hmm. everything else that follows mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. what are some easy things we can do to make sure that as we're maturing mm-hmm. aging that we're our diet and our lifestyle are following the same healthy patterns that may have been healthy at 35 that now need to be reconsidered at 45 55 right i don't know that i think there's a big difference honestly in what i do at 35 or 25 versus Besides making smarter choices in the type of exercise that I do and not trying to bench press 500 pounds or, but as far as diet, I think the diet is the diet. I don't think my diet necessarily needs to evolve. I mean, if I'm eating a whole foods based diet, uh, and, and that's what my healthy is when I'm 25 at 45, 55, 75, I think that diet still the same diet. So if someone was on a plant based from birth. Yep. If they maintain plant based, there's really no need to change it. I don't. I don't think there's any reason to change it. You know, we can maintain that they don't have a lot of sugar and refined carbs. Absolutely, as well, absolutely, right? absolutely. Now you may. So some of the things that happen as we age, okay. So our hormonal loss, uh, depletion as we age. Some of those things we can start to change our diet somewhat to hopefully increase some of the things that we know happen naturally uh, as we get older. But for the most part, if you're eating a whole food base diet, cutting out the refined food, refined sugars. I don't know that I necessarily would have to change it. The thing that often comes up uh, about with plant-based diet, am I getting enough protein? And people are always worried about proteins. Well, you get more than enough protein from foods like the legumes uh, and even mm-hmm. other, the other. So, so I don't know that I would necessarily change that at all. Looking at your micronutrients, I think is important. And looking at advanced lipid panels are important. As long as those things are looking okay, I don't know that I would have to change any of the... What, what... about allergies? Let me ask you this one. I have had a couple of family members mm-hmm. that hit a certain age. And it wasn't the same age every time, but let's say mid-40s. Mm-hmm. Hey, all of a sudden I can't have wheat anymore mm-hmm. or I can't have mm-hmm. nuts or I can't... Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? So that's a very good question. And here we go. We go talking about leaky gut for a little bit. Okay. Okay. The root uh, of a lot of these allergies, um, the root of a lot of the chronic inflammatory diseases that we just talked about, you know, I'll even go as far as to say is a large portion of even things like heart disease evolve from a gut that's dysfunctional, right? So we know that those tight junctions or the cells in between those epithelial cells in our gut, they have these tight junctions that hold those cells together. But as we develop this more chronic inflammatory process in our, in our, in our gut, these cells become leaky. And so all of uh, the stuff that's supposed to stay within the gut now starts to leak out into our system and we develop this uh, immune response to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so our antibodies are now grabbing up these portions of whatever those antigens are out there. And so a lot of times what ends up happening is 
those antibodies mimic other things like our thyroid and you have these autoimmune symptoms that develop. We start to attack our thyroid as well. And so when we talk about why we develop allergies, I think it's a lot of the same thing. We develop this leaky gut and portions of whatever the molecule is, the gliden from our wheat products or egg albumin or egg prodomy, it gets through there and we develop this autoimmune response to it, then causing this kind of allergic reaction. A bad diet leads to leaky gut as so well? So lots of things lead to leaky gut, lots of things. Um, not just a bad diet. I think that some of the most important things that we see that lead to leaky gut are medications. Um, really? Antibiotics, huge. But I think the number one thing that I, uh, number two of them, two of them, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, Motrin, things like that. Okay. So the uh, number one pain medicine out there. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and then the other thing, here's here's another one. Reflux medications, Prilosec, Omeprazole. The Zantax. The Zantax. That. Okay. Wow. And if you look at the package inserts on the proton pump inhibitors like Prilosec and Omeprazole, they say, do not use this more than two weeks in a row. How many people do you know have been on those Prilosecs for 20 years, for 15 years and 10 years? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we destroy our number, normal gut. Now they have an over-the-counter, we can get the 24 hours oh, yeah. yep. on one yep. pill. Yep. Look at, you know, you know who writes about this a lot. And if you read uh, Stephen Gundry's book, um, The Plant Paradox, mm -hmm. he talks about leaky gut. And he talks about some of the main culprits in it. And he talks about, you know, the nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories. And he talks about proton pump inhibitors. And it is huge. Uh, and it's not just the leaky gut that the proton pump inhibitors. I mean, they are really detrimental for kidney function. A lot of association with cognitive decline as well. And so one of the big things that I try to get anybody who shows up in my office and they've been on these proton pump inhibitors, it's about educating them about a diet that's going to help them with their gastroesophageal reflux disease and trying to get them off of those proton pump inhibitors. And I'll tell you, it's hard. I mean, if you've been on a proton pump inhibitor that long, you can't just stop it. Uh, and, and it's very hard. People, when you stop it, they will be symptomatic. So, so people are taking those though because of heartburn primarily, heartburn, right? Yes. Okay. So now you, you stop that or you're starting mm -hmm. to slow that down. Heartburn comes back. How do you handle well, that? Well, it, it depends. So there's a lot of, uh, you really have to determine whether there truly is a heartburn from too much acid in the stomach. Mm -hmm. But the reality is there's some literature that shows that it actually can be from too little acid in the stomach as well. Really? Part of that, you have to kind of figure out which of the culprits which of those it is as far as them having those symptoms. But but what I do, I typically have a weaning protocol. And so I actually will add in some natural digestive enzymes and alternate the proton pump inhibitor and go on and off and kind of slowly wean them off of the proton pump inhibitor. Some other supplements that we can use in that transition as well. Would that be probiotics? Uh, well, probiotics, it, it can be part of it, uh, but we use things like... Uh, Deglycerized licorice. Uh, we use some aloe products as well um, as far as that kind of wean protocol. Probiotics are important in repopulating the gut with the normal flora because what you've done now, the normal flora is dependent on the acid in the stomach, right? Mm -hmm. So when you've taken a proton pump inhibitor, you don't have that acid in the stomach anymore. And so the normal gut flora, and we've now heard about the microbiome and the importance of the microbiome, yeah. which it is truly an amazing, I mean, the bacteria in our gut plays an important role in everything. And I think that I'm going to tie this back into what we talked about earlier about what diet is right for each individual. What I think we're seeing here is that diets are largely dependent on your genetics, but they're also largely dependent on your microbiome. And so that's why no one diet is right for anybody because your diet has to be metabolized by that microbiome. And so dependent on your microbiome, there may be one diet that's more beneficial than another for you. And so we're, and we're starting to see some of that data start to come out, too, about the, the importance of the microbiome and, and, and nutritional uh, decisions we make. So going back, 
we brought up, hey, I turned 45 and I developed these allergies. We broke that down because of the Xantax or the Alka-Seltzers of the world. Let me let me say, let me, let me add to that real yeah, quick. Okay, sure. okay, one more thing, one more mm-hmm. thing. When we talk about allergies or inflammatory reactions, one of the other things that I find very, very frequently to the point that I don't necessarily have to even check these levels anymore. One of the really important things when it comes to lowering our inflammatory burden is vitamin D. Super important. And I can't tell you, I mean, I would venture to say 95% of the population is vitamin D deficient. If Isn't the number one indicator of disease in the body, how low or how high your vitamin D is? I don't know about the number one indicator of disease, but I can tell you that when your vitamin D levels are low, then certainly you are more apt to have more inflammatory diseases. Um, And part of what we talked about earlier, as far as people getting better with regard to all these inflammatory conditions, Mm -hmm. I think was largely part of repleting vitamin D levels. I mean, vitamin D, and when I say that, we have these normal levels. One of the other problems with our kind of medical system, we have these normal levels, all right? And these normal levels are derived from a 95% of our population. And so if you think about it, ask yourself, are 95% of the people in the United States healthy? The answer is clearly no, right? <laughs> so why would we want to have normal laboratory values that are derived from 95% of the population? You don't. So I tell all of my clients, the key here is we want you optimized. I don't want you to have a vitamin D level of 30, which is read as normal on our laboratory values, when your value should be somewhere in the 70, 80 range is where I want to keep your vitamin D for the anti-inflammatory effects. Yeah. Same thing with omega-3s. People will debate omega-3s, um, EPA, DHA, fish oil. All right, They will yeah. debate them forever. But the bottom line is we know that fish oil and studies after studies have shown really to be hugely anti-inflammatory agents. And so I'm a big proponent of optimizing your omega-3s and optimizing your vitamin D level when it comes to. And that goes back to your question about allergies is where I'm going with this. Those allergies typically will get better when we use products that are going to improve the inflammation in our body. Okay, so let me I have a bunch of things I'm going to try to tie together here. So we talked about the allergies. We brought that back up again. We talked about the proton pump inhibitors, the NSAIDs, mm-hmm. which is a cause and lead to leaky gut. Mm-hmm. Okay, leaky gut meaning that you have little pinhole size holes in the gut for the most part. Just for if you can put a visualization mm-hmm. to it, in the the food that's bypassing through the intestine at that point is some particles of that mm-hmm. food is exiting into the bloodstream, mm-hmm. and your your body's recognizing that as a foreign object, mm-hmm. and it's going into attack mode. Right. You talked about another contributor to that is low vitamin D and low omega-3s. But, and I learned this from what we talked about before we started recording with uh, the Game Changers, was that plant-based, they categorize fish meat and meat in the same, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And I that was the first question that I asked. Part of the plant-based diet or part of fish intake, natural or are you recommending that you take an omega-3 supplement itself? So most of the people who are truly vegan, mm-hmm. plant-based, they don't even use the omega-3. So omega-3 we can also find in other uh, plants. We can find it in chia and hemp and algal forms. So you can get but omega- you can't buy hemp at a store. No. What you can buy, I mean, the beautiful days of <laughs> Amazon, right? So right. Amazon, you can buy everything. Right. So you can buy hemp oil, you can buy algal oil. Okay. Um, and so I have some patients who are truly vegans and absolutely don't want to take fish oil. So we'll have to get their omega, I mean, we give them their omega-3s uh, in algal form. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can do that. So here's where we, we talk about, when we look at all the population-based studies and the people say, the groups out there that say that the plant-based diet 
including no fish is the best diet out there. And then we have all the data from the studies, all the Mediterranean diet studies, the, the PredMed, the <laughs> Lionheart. I mean, so we have all these studies out there that show the Mediterranean diet is also a wonderful diet for with regard to cardiovascular risks. So where is the truth? And we talked about this earlier, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it really depends. I think it depends on the individual. The truth is there's one commonality in it all. And we just said it and we'll say it again. You guys will hear this over and over. It's getting those refined carbohydrates and the sugars out of it. None of those diets have those refined processed foods. And I think as I look across the spectrum of the health benefits of many of these diets, the ones that show that even the ketogenic diet, right? That's a high fat diet. If you look at the people, Hallberg and, and the Verda people out, out there in California showing reversal of diabetes and people get the blood pressures coming down, but it's all because they've now removed all these refined carbohydrates. So okay. we won't have to I mean that's the commonality in it all. Mm-hmm. So I will tell you right sitting here today, do you have to be plant-based? Is that the 100% the best diet? No, I, I can't say that I can say that 100% because I see a lot of positive results from other diets as well, mm-hmm. right? So the key here is removing those refined carbohydrates. So I watched a YouTube podcast who had Joe Rogan on there and mm-hmm. Sean Baker. Mm-hmm. So Sean Baker, oh, okay. Big Car- guy. Carnivore man. <laughs> Carnivore. I mean, he stated that the number one killer for people on a plant-based diet was heart disease. And I was just really just taken back by that. And I was like, how is that possible? Because there's obviously lower saturated fats and there's... Yeah, I saw clips of that. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see where that statement comes from. And honestly, I don't think... It's in the first true. quarter of yeah. the of the documentary that's on there. I think it's around like minute 20. And I just stopped and I replayed it again. I was like, where the hell is he getting this information? I thought he was going to actually give um, a reference for right. a peer-reviewed reference right. on the study and he didn't do it. Let me tell you how I can see that being true. So one of the keys we have to say here if we start talking about plant-based diet is... You can be on a plant-based diet and still eat a whole bunch of mess, as I call it, okay? Okay. Um, If you go and you eat, I mean, think about, but my wife was just telling me uh, early on our drive down here about Burger King having this plant-based Whopper. I don't even know what it's called. Something and people were going crazy out. Oh, it's the Impossible Burger or something. The Impossible Burger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And we (laughs) just now I stopped to get coffee, okay, at Dunkin' Donut, and they offered us this plant-based sausage meal. Obviously. There is definitely a way to do plant-based wrong, right? Right. Okay. And so- when Have you seen the sodium when, on those guys? Yeah, exactly. When you talk about what he was talking about on that YouTube video, I am sure, and vegans, I mean, vegans in general, there are a lot of unhealthy vegans because still you, you miss the whole point of the whole foods, unprocessed part of the diet. So that's the key. Mm-hmm. When you talk about plant-based, we're talking about plant-based with whole foods and, and unprocessed foods. That's where they go awry. When you think that eating- processed vegetable burger on a piece of white bread is something that's healthier, right? And it's not. That's what causes heart disease. Yeah. And that's where, that's where the education is going to yeah. come in. I mean, there's right here, the value that you just brought to this discussion mm-hmm. on markers, breaking what type of food source mm-hmm. is so invaluable. So there's a couple of questions that sexual function. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is more for the men that are out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a really high spike in erectile dysfunction type based drugs and erectile dysfunction in men. Okay. Now this is kind of the, the kicker. Cardiovascular disease and erectile dysfunction are one and two mm-hmm. for the most part. Okay. Is how does that all contribute Erect- to erectile dysfunction is a cardiovascular disease, right? Okay. okay. So erectile dysfunction, you know, we use 
Cialis and Viagra because they're vasodilators, right? right? Vasodilators are vasodilator, and what they do is they upregulate nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator. Mm-hmm. The inner lining of our vessels, the endothelium, produces nitric oxide. And when that endothelial lining is dysfunctional, we don't produce the nitric oxide that we're supposed to. So we don't get that vasodilation. Thus, we don't get the erectile uh, stiffness that we normally get. Mm-hmm. So we give you a synthetic medicine that's going to increase the nitrates to give you that erection. So endothelial function is, is a huge, is, is the, but not a huge part of that. That's why that happens. So what causes endothelial dysfunction? All kinds of things. I mean, the, the foods, nutrition, the, I mean, the trans fatty acids that we eat, the, the toxins that we're exposed to, the glyphosate in the food that we eat. But more importantly, this is kind of interesting you bring this up. I, I have had the coolest experience and not too cool for the clients that I've been working with with this, but I've had two young guys that came to see me with testosterone that were super low in the 100s. You know, normal testosterone for somebody in the 20s should be, I don't know, 700, 800, 900. Mm-hmm. But they came in with testosterone in the 100s, 120, 140. Uh, How old again? The 20s? Ni- 119 and 123. Wow. And so I looked at that. And initially, as part of that workup, you have to make sure it's not something going on with that pituitary. And you have to make sure that testicles are producing enough of the testosterone. What ended up happening in both of these individuals, these young guys, and it's a super cool thing. And part of what led me down the road to figure out what was going on was I do a lot of genetic testing in my office, as we talked about. And part of that genetic workup that I did on one of them, the first one, it showed that he had a very high propensity to develop mercury toxicity. Um, So heavy metal toxicity. Okay. So I thought to myself, man, I don't have any other reason for this guy. And and we know that mercury toxicity, one of the things that happens with that is it's an endocrine disruptor. It can cause testosterone issues. So I said, you know, let me just check this mercury level because I, I mean, I don't have anything else to blame this on. Lo and behold, we get the mercury level back and it's off the chart, off the chart. And so one thing led to the next, and it turns out one of the sources, we can get mercury. We always think about mercury. We think about mercury from the fish that we eat, and there's different types of mercury. There's an inorganic and an organic form of mercury. Uh, methyl mercury is what we get from fish. Inorganic mercury comes from the amalgams in our teeth. Um, when you have lots of uh, fillings in our teeth from years and years past, that's why you hear about people getting their amalgams out because of mercury toxicity. Yeah. At this point, you know, I see a high mercury. I don't know where it comes from, but one of the other sources of mercury are in mining areas in the washout from gold mining. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this guy actually turned out he was from Ecuador uh, and his family own a gold mining business and they've been mining for years. Wow. Okay? okay. And so to put all these pieces together, I felt like I was Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> And it was a cool, it wasn't cool for him, but it was cool to put these pieces together because he also had these other symptoms. I mean, anxiety issues, tremors, uh, that's all symptoms of mercury toxicity. And so we're just embarking right now as we speak on kind of treating him with this mercury toxicity. Yesterday, a very similar case, another guy, 19, the 19 year old came in. I had seen him about two weeks ago and I thought he was the same thing, same way. Um, and I thought because of this other case, let me check the mercury level just to see. I didn't have genetics on him, but I just let me check the mercury level off the charts again. Really? One of the things that, you know, when we talk about this, this start with erectile dysfunction, I think we are missing the ball game on this heavy metal issue. And let me tell you why. Too. When we talk about heart disease, I really had to go down uh, the, the rabbit hole and try to understand and learn about mercury toxicity. Because well, I'm a cardiologist, man. I didn't really, that's not what I'm trained to do. But, you know, in the lifestyle medicine, my wellness practice, this is what I found. So now I got to deal with it. Right. So I had to go start to read about mercury toxicity. That's mercury really responsive poison. of you, yeah. by the way, because most people wouldn't approach it that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just kind of, I mean, that actually is the interesting part to me. I, I found this now. Now, what do I need to do about it? 
in looking up all the literature and understanding about mercury toxicity, for years we've known that heavy metal toxicity, cadmium, lead, mercury, has been associated with heart disease. Now it gets really interesting to me from a cardiology standpoint. This got super interesting to me because why, as a cardiologist, was I never taught about the role of heavy metal toxicity in developing atherosclerosis? All I was taught about was cholesterol and cholesterol and cholesterol. But more importantly, there's a condition called a dilated idiopathic cardiomyopathy. My heart doesn't squeeze normally, right? The heart mm-hmm. muscle just are very weak. I can't tell you how many times patients will come in and they had this idiopathic. Idiopathic is just a fancy term for we don't know why, right? right. We don't know why you have this. Your heart doesn't work. We don't know why. I can't tell you how many times we've diagnosed somebody with an idiopathic cardiomyopathy when nobody ever looked at heavy metals. And we know that heavy metal toxicity is super, I mean, is a huge cause of a, of a dilated cardiomyopathy. And the bad part about it is something we could do things about, right? It's something that we could do to leach out those toxins. So we could use chelation to get those toxins out and theoretically get the heart function improved. And there've been some studies that show that we can improve cardiovascular function and heart function ejection fraction by using chelation methods or methods to get those heavy metals out. I can tell you not once in 15 years did I even think about that. But the, the, the treatment for us at that point is always oh, ejection fractions weak. That's put in a defibrillator. And in a defibrillator is just an automatic device so that they don't die from sudden cardiac death where we never look for heavy metal toxicity. So this is two people for me now that have heavy metal poisoning. Yeah. So it's just opened a hole. So I've now set up an account with a company that I'm going to start to look for that more and more because it's just something that I think we're overlooking. How can people find this on their own? Or what, what's the best recommendation for people? Because I'm thinking first thing, fish. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. if someone has a high fish diet or they prefer fish over red meat, that could be one form of yep. the ingestion of, of a high mercury. mercury. Yep. Okay, but let's say, let's assume, because there are a lot of people out there that, that are have this issue. And, and the reason why is either you have the 20-year-olds that are taking it just because they're taking Adderall and at the same time mm-hmm. when they're going out on their party. And that's one genre mm-hmm. of the, or the group. Mm-hmm. Then you have the others who are hit 40 and above and they're starting to really have true erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. They're assuming, okay, I have a mercury-based issue mm-hmm. and toxicity. What can they do? Right. Should they go see a doctor right away? So, so absolutely. You, you you definitely need to see a doctor um, about that. I mean, it's not something that's easy to treat. I mean, the, the, the protocols for chelating out, getting out the heavy metals, uh, there is very tricky to do. There's intravenous ways of doing it. There are some oral ways of doing it. I would recommend finding a doctor who can assess you appropriately for the mercury toxicity. But the doctors aren't going to be trained on this, right? Yeah, well, it depends on the doctor. Some functional medicine doctors will be there's a company out there that sells the kits to test, but the bottom line is you won't really know how to interpret it anyway. So there's a company called Quicksilver Scientific is who I've recently started using. And what I like about them is I don't know of any other company out there. It's important that you know whether you have the, the mercury toxicity is an in, inorganic mercury or whether it's an organic form, a methyl mercury. Meaning that, okay, is it fish oil or is it the metal in my teeth for my amalgams? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this company is the only company that I know out there. They have a proprietary technology that is able to tell you whether it's an inorganic or organic formulation of the mercury. So in my deep dive, I'm trying to figure out what I needed to do. That's just how I kind of came up with them and understanding more of what I need to treat these two guys. That's the company who does that. But you need to find somebody who is a doctor who's familiar with that. And and, and it is going to be hard. I would say look for a functional medicine practitioner. That's who's going to be able to help you Mm -hmm. the most with that type of mercury toxicity. Within your practice, you have people that you align yourself with? Should I do that myself at this point as far as, you know, as far as the mercury toxicity stuff? No, I'm talking about uh, if someone 
lives over here again on the southeast. Well, I do. I mean, for for me, I actually I do a lot of virtual stuff. This portion of the podcast and the continuation after Heather was really from the people that have listened to it mm-hmm. and said, "Now, what about A, B, or C?" Mm-hmm. As they keep going down the line, and these are the questions that that popped up. Let me give one to the women real mm-hmm. quick. Here's some of the questions I've heard. Mm-hmm. Why not all cardio? Now, I know these answers, mm-hmm. but they're not going to believe me because I'm their friend and I'm mm-hmm. their neighbor and mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm like, look, you need to get on the weights. Yep. Okay. Yep. And the way I explain it to them, and I'll say, look, you don't have to be big and huge mm-hmm. and strong because that, that's what they're all worried mm-hmm. about. They want to look lean and, and just mm-hmm. healthy and et cetera, which is fine. Right. But when you're at rest, when you're at metabolic rest, your muscles act like a Pac-Man, just mm-hmm. the way I, again, describe mm-hmm. to them. And they're gobbling up all the bad stuff mm-hmm. and they continue in that caloric burn which is maintaining your metabolic resting rate and your caloric burn rate, mm-hmm. keeping you healthy long-term, right. not just having right. spikes. Right. So for the women, what would you have to say to them? I'm going to go down just a little bit of a different avenue, uh, the importance of weight training in women. And the biggest thing, I think, particularly as we start to age, uh, as you start to get to 40 and 50 and 60 and 70, think about what happens as we age, as the women age, right? Mm-hmm. We start to develop these hormonal issues. Okay. And some women certainly are much more symptomatic with regard to hormonal issues than others. We could talk about the reason for that. We know that the hormones are super important in bone health. And one of the most important things that we know in women is osteoporosis and bone health long-term. Yep. Okay. So not just bone health. One of the other things that's super important is sarcopenia is muscle loss or muscle wasting. And we know one of the biggest predictors of longevity is the avoidance of sarcopenia or muscle wasting. The things that help to build strong bones are weight-bearing exercises, lifting weights. We know that upregulation of testosterone occurs with lifting weights, men and women, right? right? So that's why it's important for them to get some type of weightlifting, weight-bearing, because in my mind, that's well, the most- far. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, in my mind, that's the most important part. I mean, as we age, we want to make sure we don't lose muscle, right? okay? Mm-hmm. Cardio, 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 cardio doesn't achieve that goal. What about it's like a spin class or something where they're stressing and they have cardio at the same time? I mean, I think that that's actually, I mean, I think that's actually pretty good. I mean, I think that I, I mean, that as long as that's more, I mean, and if they're doing more of a high intensity interval training class, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I like that. If you had to, if I had to choose one form of exercise that I think that is fairly beneficial all the way around and is the hit training is, I mean, it is, is yeah. super important. That's what Heather mentioned last time, Arthur Jones, we, we bought not list. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what I originally trained on when I first had to get into the business, when I first started in the fitness realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think that, yeah, for women, uh, super important. I wanted to just say one other thing, you know, we were talking about hormones and women. Um, that's a whole nother subject, but I will say that, again, as I, as a cardiologist, got into this realm of lifestyle medicine and having to educate myself about lots of things, including hormones and, and, and women in general. Now, I kind of feel sorry for women because I feel like our medical community has done women a huge disservice with regard to hormonal imbalance. What we relegated ourselves to are women who come in anxious and depressed and can't sleep and they end up on antidepressants and sleeping medications and benzodiazepines or medicines to calm you down. When a lot of those symptoms are simply, they revolve around the hormonal imbalances, estrogen deficiencies, progesterone deficiency, testosterone deficiency. The whole realm of hormone replacement therapy, and including myself up until about two years ago, 
it has this connotation that hormone replacement therapy and everybody's always worried about cancer and developing cancer from hormone replacement therapy. And when you look at the literature on that, the literature was so skewed and the number of women who truly develop cancer with hormone replacement therapy, I mean, there's no significant increased risk of cancer with hormone replacement therapy when it's done correctly, particularly with bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And so all these women who have been now relegated to the medications, the sleeping medicines and antidepressants, and then been on them for years and years and years. I can't tell you how many women who were in their 60s and 70s to show up to me on Valium and sleeping medications and, and, and other antidepressant medications that they say, I don't know why I'm on these things. I've just been on them for 15 years. And once we get their hormones balanced, and I'll be honest with you, the husbands are the happiest. I can't tell me husbands, they come in, they slap me, hop out just like this. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Because now their wives are not having all these issues with the anxiety and the mood yeah, swings yeah. and stuff like that, just by balancing the hormones. And so that is a huge thing. So finding for women out there, if you're having these hormonal issues, I mean, the, the, the weight gain, the weight gain in the belly, the anxiety issues, the mood swings, the hot flashes, the night sweats. Find yourself a good hormone doctor because they can make you feel tremendously better. They can help you sleep uh, and really address a lot of the, the issues you're having. Another thing that I think is important is we know that hormones are important from, from an inflammatory standpoint in our body. Mm -hmm. So when we balance the hormones, now we are also improving some of this inflammation status. And so it can potentially decrease your risk of having heart disease. It could potentially decrease the pain you're having from the rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis just by balancing the hormones. So it's just so many things that we kind of take for granted about the importance of those. And including myself, I look back at what I used to think when somebody would come in with those symptoms, like, oh, no. I don't want to deal with it. But as I learned, and it's because I didn't know anything about it. What about growth hormone? So I, when I think of hormone yeah. replacement therapy, I think yeah. of Lilazato. Yeah. So that's right? a, that that's a of... really good topic too. So, you know, one of the things that are real, an up and coming uh, group of uh, biologics are called peptides. Okay. And yep. peptides, peptides are going to be one of the ways of the future um, because uh, in what we know about them so far, I think they're fairly safe. Now, of course, you know, when used appropriately, there's still something we it's still a lot of research that needs to go on with the peptides. But I can tell you that we are using a lot of peptides. Peptide is just a sequence of amino acids that mimic certain other parts of hormones in our body. So there are growth hormone releasing uh, peptides that act like growth hormone that are not truly uh, parts of this. So they act like parts of growth hormone and stimulate your brain to make more of its own growth hormones. I think, and certainly there's been a lot of benefit. That's part of anti-aging and longevity protocols that we use. It helps with cognitive issues. We also have a lot of peptides that are used for, I mean, truly conditions like leaky gut, for example. Uh, there's a peptide called BPC-157, tremendously effective for leaky gut. Let me ask you this. So I just saw something. It was about the cosmetic. This It was a completely different topic, but people are going to listen to this. They're going to go, I need peptides. I need, mm -hmm. and they're going to go to Amazon. No. Right. Okay. And that, so and that's huge. my point because yes. China, yes. they will yes. jack you up, boy. Yes. And a lot of these peptides, and they will say for research purposes only. And I've had a lot of clients, and they will be cheaper than you can get them from a compound in pharmacy. But the bottom line is, you don't know what you're getting, uh, and utilizing these things, you're, you're really utilizing them at your own risk. And if any of my clients do that, I assume no responsibility. And I really, at that point, I really don't want to deal with that because if something happens with you, utilizing uh, something you bought on Amazon or on www. you know, whatever it is, certainly I'm not going to be responsible for that. I yeah. wanted to bring that up yeah. because what I don't want someone to do is say, Oh, I heard yes. X say 
And there are a lot of things that need to be, I mean, you need to have a full evaluation before you're actually placed on any of these peptides as well. Yeah. There are certain things you need to be cognizant of, and it should really come as a prescription from your physician. Yep. Going back to the original question, we talked about just health mm-hmm. and fitness health with women, but you're relating it back to a lot of hormonal-based issues, mm-hmm. and peptide would be one answer mm-hmm. to that. Is there anything else that they need to ask their primary care physicians about? I mean, I think that, again, the base of it all, even your hormonal imbalance is, is nutrition, nutrition, right? Yeah. So Heather actually essentially is a functional nutritionist. I have some other people that I work with as well. And I'll be honest with you, that makes my job so much easier because once you have a, a, a nutritionist who is able to look at labs, who's able to make the appropriate recommendations uh, for your clients, uh, it makes from a health and wellness and getting your patients better. My job is so easy these days if the people buy into what they're supposed to do that I honestly, I joked to my office manager about this is the easiest job I've ever had. I don't have to do anything <laughs> but teach them what to do yeah. and they get better. It really is the truth. Now, certainly this mercury toxicity people that we talked about, that's a different story. I can't just teach them what to do now. Now we have to figure out, okay, what are we going to do to get rid of this mercury? But there are a lot of other just chronic illnesses out there that we just teach them the proper nutrition. All these chronic illnesses get better. Wow. The last thing I want to bring up, you've been voted a top doctor. After listening to this, I can see why, hands down, what do you attribute it to? And please, don't hold back. I want people to get from this and understand. They can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about this mm-hmm. and why you left what was the norm, the easy, well, I wouldn't say the easy path, it was really the harder path, mm-hmm. and went to something that was more creative, more immersive in, in health and patient care. Yeah. Okay. Why do you do what you do every day? I love what I do now because I get to spend time with my clients and I get to teach. When you think about the Latin root of doctor, it means to teach. I saw 40 patients a day in that system. I would literally spend five to seven minutes with the client to go into how you're doing, your blood pressure's up, let's up your medicine, let's change your medicine. And that's the kind of care we get. No, when you truly care about making a difference, and what happened with me is I would go and I look at a chart and I see all these things. I see all the people on the proton pump inhibitors we talked about, on the uh, non-steroidals that we talked about. And I knew there was so much more that needed to be done that I could not do and talk about in seven minutes. And I had to figure out a way, how am I going to be able to sit there and talk to these people about truly getting better, all right? The people who wanted that. For me, my practice, if you, if you look at me, and I'm not, not to be braggadocious, when I go online and look at my reviews, it's all about the time that I spent with my patients to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And year by year, what I was finding is that I had to spend less and less time and make less and less money because the, the system is driven by how many people you see, right? Yeah. I didn't want to keep practicing in a system that's driven by how many people I can see because I didn't get to provide the care that I knew I could provide. And so I think this top doctor, I mean, really that the, the voting those top doctors came from patients and it also came from your colleagues. But I think that it's simply because I take pride in taking care of my patients. And it's important for me to educate you so that you know what you need to do to be the best version of yourself. It's not rocket science. I mean, once I saw and learned what I needed to learn to truly help people, and I saved a lot of lives putting stents in people having heart attacks. I did. And I felt like when I first got, oh yeah, I'm the man, I'm saving lives. But that's too late when I know I can do more up front. And so I figured, you know what? There's a much better way. I always say this, you know, you can continue to be part of the problem or you can be part of the solution. And one of my goals was that I'm not sure where this road is going, but I am going to make a stance and I'm going to make a difference so that people start to see that there's a different approach to healthcare and there's a different way to really be that optimal, that best self. And so 
I just decided to step out and kind of and take this path. And so one thing has led to the next. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that keep arising. So I'm just going to keep doing what I do because we're making a difference in people's lives. And I'm not the only doctor. There's a lot of doctors out here who are seeing this now. Sure. And the doctors who truly care about their patients are the ones that say, okay, we got to do something different. There's also a group that's very scared. I did a presentation at the AMMG in Miami back in April, and I'll never forget. They called me and asked me to do a talk on converting your practice from an insurance-based practice to a cash-based practice successfully. And when they asked me, I said no initially because I had really just gotten to this whole realm. And I said no because I wasn't going to tell you how to do it successfully. I'm trying to figure this out, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they said, what they said, you know, we want you to still do it because your story is so powerful. We just want you to get up and tell your story. So I said, you know what? I can do that. I can get up and I can tell my story about being frustrated. And that's what I did. And it was amazing to me. There was a room of, I don't know, two or 300 doctors in there. There was doctors in there that were like teary eyed. People came up to me after saying, thank you for telling us and talking to us about being bold enough to step outside of the system. So there are doctors out there who want to do something different, mm-hmm. but they just don't know how to do it. For me, it was just like, I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm just the kind of person that, okay. My wife's like, are you crazy? You going to do what? Yeah, and I said, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And still to this day, she still says, yeah, what, what were you thinking? I'm telling you exactly what I'm thinking right now. I was thinking, okay, there's a different way to do this. Yeah. I had a friend on his business called The Scope of Practice. And what he does is completely different than what you're doing, but he takes the financial side of the thing, mm-hmm. things and he's getting somebody who's in debt $700,000 and he's teaching them how to get out. Mm-hmm. When I hear that story that you just talked to me about, these people, they probably feel just pigeonholed. Mm-hmm. I have to pay off that debt. I have to pay off that mm-hmm. debt. I have to pay off that mm-hmm. debt. And not being able to go out and take that risk yep. Yep. Like, like you did. Yep. So I can see an alignment between those two stories right there. You know, Dr. Lacey, what he's doing is just good financial health, balancing things out, mm-hmm. making sure you can get through that debt so you can have the freedom and make the right decisions right. long term, right. Right. which right. is exactly what you're talking about. Because now, when I said earlier, like you really are saving lives. Mm-hmm. And you're preventing the ripple effect. Right. And that's a powerful statement right there. Right, the right, ripple right. effect of, I got sick, this happened, I have to go to the doctors, right. I have all these appointments. Right. So much time that takes. Yeah. yeah. Right. And hopefully what we're doing as well is we are educating the lay people so that they can educate their family and they can educate their family and friends. Because again, we started out this conversation about so much miseducation that's out there. The key here is education. Now, whether you buy into it and you're disciplined enough, there are going to be some people who just don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. But the more people that we can educate, the more people that we can show how we can turn their life around and how much better they feel, the more people that they're going to tell, that they're going to tell, and we can make a difference that way. I'm an ultimate optimist. And so that's just the way I look at this. The more people that we can affect to educate them about their health and and all this chronic disease, the better off we're going to be. Let me ask you one more question, and then I'll give you the final word. How do you educate yourself? What does your continuing education plan look like as a practicing MD? With a lot of unknowns, yeah. because we just talked about the mercury-based toxicity, mm-hmm. where do you find the time? So my wife will laugh at me right now. I keep mentioning her, but uh, right now I look at a lot of podcasts, a lot of audible books. I'll be actually on the uh, East Coast of Florida too, so I have about a three and a half hour drive. Uh, once a week, each way. I actually spend a lot of time listening to uh, audible books. I've really, I mean, if you look at my phone right now, just looking at it on the way down. You can kind of see my whole transition in the books I read as I was making this transition. And I still, that's the way I get most of my education now. And I listen to them on 2X. So when I say my wife's going <laughs> to laugh. And my daughters ask me this. I have a six and a nine-year-old. And they say to me, 
Daddy, you listen to that blah blah stuff again. And so if I walk up to my car and the car connects to the Bluetooth and all of a sudden you took and they all just start laughing. It happens over and over again because I mean that's what I do. I mean, I really just kind of educate myself on most of the time it's in because when I'm seeing clients, I'm I'm seeing clients. Uh and so when I have the time, my downtime, I've decided that I am kind of a geek because in my downtime I'm always just trying to learn. I think I stepped out into a realm that's new for me, right? Cardiology, I've been practicing for, you know. 12, 13 years. And so I know cardiology. I know about atrial fibrillation and heart disease, all this new stuff and the hormones and the peptides and, and the mercury poisoning. I, I have to learn about it. And so I just kind of spend my time kind of listening to it. And from that, I mean, and I, and I put it into practice. Yeah. Top two podcasts and top two books you would recommend. Oh man. Okay. Good one. Good one. I am going to say, Although I don't agree with the total philosophy anymore, the first book I read that got me on the road to figuring out there was a different way and there was a problem in the healthcare system was a book called Undoctored Mm -hmm. um, by William Davis. He's the guy who wrote Wheat Belly. So he is really anti-wheat. And I was too, anti-grain, anti-wheat for a while. I'm not so sure that's right. There's a lot more in that book that he talks about, about a broken system. And he also talks to people about a lot that you can do to help yourself. So for lay people, it's a great book to understand the problems of the healthcare system, but it's also a great book to educate yourself on uh, thyroid disease, uh, on vitamin D deficiency, on calcium. Do I need it or do I not need it? What it empowers you to do is go into your physician asking questions. Now, some physicians don't like that, but you know, I think that it's worthwhile when you come in and you ask educated questions. Then for me, a lot of what I learned, there are a lot of engineers out there. They want evidence and, mm-hmm. and proof of concept and how things work. And I have really, really learned a lot from my engineer clients because they question me all the time, which means I have to go find an answer. And in finding that answer, I come up with a lot of times their question is valid. And what they're asking me, I'm like, you know what? I don't know. That's just what they taught me. And it might not be right. Undoctor is one book. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the most recent one that I just mentioned to you is a really good book. The one by uh, David Sinclair about longevity, because I think what's going to happen, you guys. People, is that the title about longevity? Uh, no, it's a, it's it's. Why are we aging? Why we don't have to or something like that. Uh, but David Sinclair, that is a fairly new book. Uh, and I think it's interesting simply because when you read this, you guys will see what's coming in the future. You're going to see this whole age management and age reversal thing. People living right now who will live predictably to 130 years old fairly routinely. Really? And it's just based on some of the new data that we have on some wow. of these the aging factors that we have out there. We had talked earlier about measuring your biologic age. So we're able to look at biologic age and the things we can do to keep your biologic age stable or even reverse it. That technology is evolving and evolving quickly. Peptides, uh, the other nutraceuticals that we use to help promote that mm-hmm. is really kind of forward thinking. It's kind of an interesting book to read. It's very futuristic. What about podcast? Uh, Peter Atia. It's just hard. I mean, and I could tell you, I mean, I listened to Chris Kresser, Peter Atia. Chris uh, Kresser was on Rogan, by the yeah. way. Yeah, he was pretty good. Joe Rogan is actually pretty funny. He <laughs> grass, but uh, he often, yeah, he often has some really good people on there though. So, but Joe Rogan is actually one of the good ones I listen to. Actually, yeah, um, I don't like all the topic points, but the high majority of them I do. I, I like Rogan a lot. I actually like how long they are. Yeah, because I can, I find I can break that mental cycle that you may be in, uh-huh. and you can just get into a long learning stint. Trying to see what I have here on my podcast. I'll tell you what, what mine is. I have to look up the name real quick, but it's. 0.1%. That's a great motivational one. And it just, at a young age, he became one of the 1% hmm. financially. Mm-hmm. And then he came back and said, it was all bullshit. He's like, but you find 
two different types of people. You find the people who have hit that that mark, but then you have other people like, ah, but he like you need to be somewhere in the middle because if something happens to you or to a family member and you're not financially in a good position to help, mm-hmm. and that's the key word there, to help, mm-hmm. then it causes stress and depression and right. I should have, I should have, I should have. Right. And he has a lot of different variations of his podcast. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he has some lengthy ones mm-hmm. and sometimes he has two minutes. Hmm. He's been where most people think happiness and success is, will just thrive because they have money. The thing is, he's a millennial. Huh. And he came back and said, look, it's not true. It's simply not true. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to listen to that. That's so interesting. So really I, interesting. I never heard that approach before. So I started listening to that. I actually started you know, pushing some stuff for my wife as well, mm-hmm. saying, hey, take a listen to this one. Take a listen to this one. The last thing for you is final words yours. What do you got to say? We started out with about our society being more of a reactive society. I want to encourage all of you uh, that are listening to this podcast really to be more proactive about your health care. Align yourself with a care provider that is open-minded and willing to think more proactively in preventing disease and give you recommendations that are going to prevent the, the heart disease, the cancers, uh, the lung problems, the kidney problems. There's so much with the technology and what we know today that we can do to help prevent these uh, chronic illnesses that we often don't do. And I also just encourage all of you guys to really make it a point yourself to be the best version of yourself. Do what you need to do. Get the education. I want to be the best version of myself that I can be for my family, for my wife and my kids. And so I want you guys all to think about that and and do what you need to do. I mean, be responsible. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, man. That's great. I got to tell you. You are a wealth of knowledge. I don't want to dictate your time, but man, I would love to have you back again and again. I mean, the information that you just shared with everybody here is going to be 10x for you. I'm telling you, I, I can just, I can see it. I can feel it. And you actually answered questions that a lot of people have that people asking me. Mm-hmm. I just really appreciate that. That one part of it. My so. pleasure. My pleasure. I'll be, yeah, I'd be glad to come back. Like I told you, I'm going to be on this coast. I love that we can set up something where we can kind of do this more often. I like to educate I like to sit down and talk. And if people are listening to this, even if we sit down and have a conversation just on vitamin D, you know, it's about education. The more we educate you, the more you can do with it, the more you will be proactive about your own health. It's about breaking some of the stereotypes that are out there. If I tell you something that to- goes against totally what you've been taught, that raises eyebrows. And I think yeah. it stimulates you to say, hey, wait a minute, this doctor just said something that totally goes against what I had heard. So let me figure out or let me get in contact with him. Let me figure out what I need to do because this is not what I've been taught. And so, yeah, I'd be happy to come back. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was cool. Well, everyone, thanks for joining. I'm Scott Burgess. I'm your host. We have in front of me, Dr. Chris Davis. We're going to plug all of his information in the podcast notes, but revealvitality.com. You can find him there. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Cool, man. That's good. Hey, thanks, man. That's good. That was fantastic. I wanted to take a minute to thank everyone for joining us today on Healthcare 360. It was my honor to have on the show my friends, Ms. Heather Wright and Dr. Chris Davis, to talk about their professional medical journeys and how they are truly transforming and saving people's lives through homeopathic medicine and holistic nutrition. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoy the conversation, please share this podcast and give us a review. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you enjoy listening. If you want the conversation to continue, you can find us on Twitter at HC360Podcast or healthcare360podcast.com. 
Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess for Healthcare 360. See you next time.